Last week, we discussed the principle of halacha kebatrai, the principle that under certain circumstances, we grant more authority to the later positions than we do to the earlier ones. And we outlined several different rationales for that principle. The one that is most prominent in Psak is the one presented by the Maharik and recorded by the Ramah, namely, that we assume that later positions had access to all of the information that was um, in front of the earlier authorities, and therefore, when they make their halachic decisions, they have a more complete picture. Namely, if the Rambam, let's say, says X, but the Rush says Y, so a later authority, let's say the Shulchan Aruch, when making his decision, takes into account the position of both the Rambam and the Rush, or in his case, the Rambam, the Rush, and the Rif. And therefore, his position may be considered more binding because he's not only taking into account the position of the Rambam, but a more full position of the Rishonin. However, based on this rationale, Marik writes, and the Ramah records the Halacha, that if there is a position that cannot be assumed to have been in front of the earlier posake, so then the later posake um, has the right to overturn the Halacha, or to put it slightly more clearly, as we noted last week, Halacha Kebatrai is not, according to most Rishonim, an principle that is more permissive in terms of the authority it gives to an individual posseik, but rather it's a limiting principle. It tells the posseik that when he is weighing previous authorities, he has to give more weight to the later authorities, not himself, the authorities that are later in the relative scheme of things, but earlier than he, and he has to take their position with more weight because he assumes that they formulated their position with a more holistic view. However, if the third generation posake, shall we say, has access to information that that mid-generation posake does not, such as he has access to a new position in Rishon or a Gaon, so then the last posake has the right to return to the earliest strata of Psak because the assumption that the posek that came before him had access to more information than, than uh, um, has had more information is no longer true as he has the most access and therefore can overturn the batrai because now he is really the batrai. He is the one that has access to an even more complete library. Now, on the basis of this, one would think that poskim would be willing to take into account discoveries that are found in manuscripts, whether they be new Rishonim, new Gaonim, new Achronim, or textual variants that will change the meaning of a particular Rishon, a particular text. However, in practice, there are many poskim who have been reticent about this, and this is the issue that we'll explore more deeply today. I should note that much of the discussion in recent years around this issue has centered on reconstructing the position of the Chazon Ish. Um, And there were three articles 
in tradition over the course of of several decades um, that touched on this issue. One was in the summer of 1979 by Svi Yehuda, who was a student of, uh, of Chazan Ish. Um, and then there was a rejoinder to, um, to this article by Professor Schneer Lyman. Um, and then there was in the comprehensive uh, summary of these issues later on by Rabbi Moshe Bleich in uh, all in uh, in tradition. Um, the last article was in 1993 in tradition 27.2. For our purposes, I'm not going to take a firm position on what exactly the Chazun Ish's um, own opinion was, but rather what I want to do is use these articles and the arguments that they bring to bear to highlight why it might be that even if we accept in principle the position of the Ramah, that newly found positions can be taken into account when determining halakha, and in fact allow us to override certain rules, such as halakha kibatrai, in determining halakha, why it is that in practice that's not always the way that post scheme approach the situation. So we begin here with the construction by uh, by this Rabbi Tzvi Yehuda, um, or Professor Tzvi Yehuda, to his... Uh, um, it's a letter sent to his daughter that was published in... Uh, in, uh, in tradition. Now he argues um, as follows. Um, he argues that one reason that Poskim may be reticent to accept changes to the halachic tradition based on discoveries in manuscript is because of a belief that halacha as we have it, halacha as it's developed, was influenced by Hashkacha, that Hashem, through divine providence, wanted certain certain positions and certain authorities to be well known to the poskim who make up the primary Shalshelet Apsak, the primarily train of tradition, and other positions to be um, outliers or to be theoretically important, but not be part of the practical consensus. And therefore, if a position of a Gaon, of a Rishon, and the like, was not found, um, was not present in the libraries of the poskim who make up the classic tradition of Psak, be they Shulchan Aruch, Ramah, the Nose Kalim, on Shulchan Aruch, um, or ever one wants to construe that, so then one can assume that based on uh, Hashgacha, these are positions that should not be uh, be taken um, into account. And the uh, the quote that he ascribes to the Chazanish is, the hand of providence must be seen in the historical ev- evolution of Halacha. And based on this, he argues that we do not accept um, these later um, texts, these changes based on, on new manuscripts, as he quotes the Chazan Ish, um, the sources already printed or found in the works of the Rishonim, organically within the context in which they are quoted, in the way they are discussed and treated, 
The sources now printed for the first time from Geniza manuscripts, whatever their importance may be for academic study, are, are irrelevant for halachic consideration. And this was um, what he quotes the Chazanish with regards to the Otsar Hagionim. Um, and here he argues that according to the Chazanish, just because you find a new position in Gaon or a new version of a text of the Gaon, um, we don't have to accept it for halacha. Um, so argument one against accepting these is this claim that there is a reason why Hashem made it, that certain positions made it in, and that certain did not. Um, as for particular textual changes, um, he puts forth another argument, which is that it's not always the case that a manuscript is correct. Um, a position that was known to the Rishonim, not one that was completely unknown, but one that was known to the Rishonim or to the Achronim, and was recorded in a certain way, and was passed down that way, and found in many sources in a particular direction, and then a manuscript indicates that in fact the position of the Gaon, let's say, was different. So there, another reason to reject the change found in the manuscript for halachic purposes is the belief that perhaps the tradition that was found in the classic post-game was in fact more correct or more authoritative, um, and that just because something appears in a, um, in a manuscript does not necessarily prove that it is more accurate than the, um, the tradition that was found in the, uh, in the Rishonim. Um, and these are two arguments that um, Professor Yehuda offers, um, ascribing them to the Chazon Ish, arguing that despite the Ramah's principle, which would in theory allow us to accept evidence from manuscripts, um, for practical purposes, he felt that you should not. Again, one, because um, it may not be in a case where we have a basic position passed down and the manuscripts suggest that the tradition was recorded incorrectly by the Rishonim. Um, so problem one is the belief that perhaps the manuscripts do not reflect the truth as well as the tradition that was passed down painstakingly by the previous post-scheme. And point two, even more fundamental, is the belief that certain types of positions um, or certain positions were not included in the Mesorah because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted it uh, to be that way. Now, Professor Yehuda notes that even if one takes this uh, position. It doesn't mean that there's no mitzvah of Talmud Torah in reading these newly found Rishonim or entertaining uh, the new manuscripts. Um, he just believes that for halachic purposes um, they are irrelevant. And this is the position that Professor Yehuda ascribes to the Chazon Ish. Now, as noted, um, I take no firm position on the um, on the position of the Chazon Ish himself. Um, but the, the model set up by Professor Yehuda in his interpretation of the Chazon Ish um, is clearly a model that resonates with, with many poskim who are reticent to take into consideration newly found Rishonim or new manuscripts that reflect different positions in the Rishonim than those that are accepted in classic halachic sources or traditional halachic sources. 
Um, Professor Lyman, in his rejoinder, um, challenges this understanding of the Chazon Ish and notes that um, there are several problems. I will outline them quickly. Again, despite the fact that I take no position on um, the Chazon Ish's uh, own opinion. Um, first, um, Professor Lyman is not um, convinced that all the ascriptions of uh, Professor Yehuda to uh, the Chazanesh are correct, and notes that in several places it is unclear where the citations or the quotations from the Chazanesh end and the positions of Professor Yehuda uh, begin. Um, but more substantively, he believes um, that while there are indeed moments in the Chazanesh where he expresses reticence with uh, with using newly found material um, based on a survey of uh, of the Chazanish's writings, um, he believes that uh, that the f- the strong formulation of Professor Yehuda cannot be um, correct. Um, so to take an example, he takes a quote from Professor Yehuda's article. Um, as follows, authoritative halacha is based only on the sources that went through the living chain of tradition, generation after generation, precisely in the way they were understood and read, passing the most scrupulous scrutiny of rabbinic deliberation and verification. Um, And this is going back to the formulations that we noted uh, before. Um, But here, Professor Lyman argues that this striking formulation can't be squared with Chazanish's published writings. If taken literally, it would mean that all medieval authorities, such as Rameenacha Meiri, whose writings and teachings for the most part were unknown for centuries, only to be rediscovered and published in the 19th and 20th century, are not authoritative for halacha. One interesting sample of Chazanish's attitude will suffice for our purpose. Um, and then he goes on to note that in the case of, uh, of contraception, um, the Chazanish does in fact um, accept the, possess- the positions of uh, of um, which were not widely distributed um, to the to the Achronim, uh, some of the earlier Achronim, Rukid Eger and and uh, and some so fair, um, and and the Chazonish um, accepts certain leniencies from uh, the Marshal based on the rediscovery of the position of his position, despite the fact that the Chazon the Chazam Sofer. And Rabbi Vega ruled more stringently without access um, to that to that information. Um, in another quote, he uh, he quotes from the Chazanish that in halachic matters one ought not overly rely on new discoveries, but rather one should rely upon the halachic works that have been tr- transmitted from one generation to the next without interruption. And here, Professor Lyman writes that the qualifying adverb "overly" is unequivocal. Chazanish was not adverse to an occasional reliance on newly discovered material. Indeed, when the author could be identified and his reliability as halachit was assured, as in the case of the Luria ruling, Chazanish welcomed the new discovery of ancient Torah. Um, So Professor Lyman um, argues that, um, indeed, the Chazanish was, um, was much more accepting. And here is his summary. Uh, when Yehuda's account of Chazanish's views on textual criticism is compared with Chazanish's views as they emerge from his published writing, it becomes apparent that the two accounts, despite much overlap, differ. 
While Yehuda succeeded in capturing the general thrust of Chazon Ish's approach to textual criticism, which is best described as cautious, he has not done justice to the fullness, variety, and precision of Chazon Ish's views. The discrepancies between the two accounts are best explained by assuming that Yehuda's formulations, perhaps more often than he intended, are his own and not necessarily those of Chazon Ish. Um, but again, for our purposes, it's less important to me um, what did the Chazonish himself actually uh, believe, and I don't feel that I'm qualified to weigh in on that. But if we wanted to present a second model, that would be that of Professor Lyman, as he understands the Chazonish, which is that in principle, one is indeed allowed to take into account new manuscripts, new positions, textual changes, uh, and the like. But, and this is hard, it's hard to argue that the Ramah um, would not believe this as well. One must be cautious, um, because just because there's a new manuscript or a new text, that doesn't mean that it's always correct. And caution may be called for, but in principle, and those stronger formulations um, of Professor Yehuda, that in principle one cannot accept it, uh, that would not be true. Um, this notion of the Misora determining that one cannot accept positions that haven't been in play for the classic arbiters of, uh, of Halakha that um, Professor Lyman rejects. And that seems to be a second model, one that in principle is open in cha- to changing um, Halakha based on new information, new material, but one that recognizes that determining the accuracy of such material is, is difficult and one must weigh it carefully and not be quick to uh, to change accepted halacha in light of of new information. Um, in in 1993, in tradition, as I mentioned, Rabbi Moshe Bleich wrote a uh, an extensive summary article on this, um, and he notes um, several things. He notes that as as we've talked about. Um, it's clear that there was a tkufa in which manuscripts were very important, and he takes several examples um, from the Rambam, where the Rambam determines halakha based on use of, of manuscripts. Um, however, he argues that if one wants to take the stronger view that was attributed to Chazon Ish, one which is quite rejects, uh, rejects really using this type of approach nowadays, um, the justification for that would be that it's not that in principle manuscripts aren't important, um, but rather, as the Chazonish notes, there's this notion that at some point, Hashkacha led to the rejection of certain sources, or the lack of inclusion, perhaps, um, in the Misora. Um, and therefore, one can can argue that perhaps different periods are different. In earlier um, periods before halacha had uh, had coalesced in the way that it did later on, it was legitimate and encouraged to use manuscripts. Um, but in later generations, it was it was not. And here, um, Rai Bleich argues that many of the formulations that are found in achronim, such as Rivionis and Eipschitz and the Urim Vitumim and others, um, See that see this shift um, in pre and post shulchan and a pre and post shulchan aruch world and, and as we've discussed before, um, there is this notion um, that dictates the way that many poskim approach the halachic system that the codification of shulchan aruch and rama 
was a game changer in terms of how we relate to earlier authorities. Um, and therefore, um, Bleich here argues that perhaps another way of understanding this issue um, is that there is no fundamental rejection, um, but that certain moments in halachic history, such as the writing of Shulchan Aruch, are guided by, uh, by Hashkacha or are accepted by so many poskim that um, at that moment um, we formulate the halacha and we codify the halacha and the position reflected in that codification is impervious um, or almost impervious to, uh, to change based on, uh, on newly found um, Rishonim and Achronim. And he notes that here, uh, the Tumim does um, attribute the writing of the Shulchan Aruch and Ramah to, uh, to writing that was done with a certain level of, of divine inspiration. Um, and therefore, um, perhaps at this period, um, the positions that are found in other Gaonim or Rishonim that don't make it into that divinely guided writing Shulchan Aruch and Ramah become um, minimally uh, important, if not unimportant um, at all. Um, now, a related topic, though one that I won't get into, um, would argue that similar, uh, similar methodological moves are true for uh, for the use of archaeology in Psak uh, as well, although that is uh, mostly, I think, um, or better dealt with when we discuss how halacha approaches um, reality rather than how it deals with, uh, with precedent. Um, now, he, um, he notes that not everybody accepted uh, this formulation, and he notes that there were cases in which the Shulchan Aruch Harav, um, for example, was willing to accept manuscripts of uh, of the Rishonim to to um, accept stringencies in the context of of Mechirat Chametz um, that are not found in uh, Shulchan Aruch. Um, so he does note that this is not accepted, though he though he also adds a caveat that another theoretical model could be that we would be open to uh, to previous authorities to accept a Chumrah, um, but perhaps not as open to it to accept um, to accept a uh, a Kula, um, which again is a is another theoretical. Um, model and he 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 details different postskim, um, modern postskim, um, who take different views. Um, and he notes that Ramosha Sternbach um, is not willing to accept um, the Chumrah, the Shulchan Harav, in the context of uh, of Mechirat Chametz, um, because he takes a much a more fundamental position um, about the Shulchan Aruch. Um, that the Shulchan Aruch, reflecting the uh, accepted position of postkin for generations, um, is impervious in a certain way to uh, to newly found um, manuscripts. Um, and in general, Rabbi um, Moshe Bleich uh, favors the uh, the more the stronger position uh, within the interpretation of the Chazanesh. Um, presented by Professor Yuda, rather than the the version that is um, presented 
by uh, by Professor Lyman. Um, and again, if one wants to see um, many positions, one will um, on both sides um, of the issue. Um, right, Blake's article is uh, is very helpful. He notes that certain postgim um, are much more open to the use of of critical editions and manuscripts, such as um, the Sridi Aish, Rechil Yaakov Weinberger, uh, Weinberg rather, um, and other postgim who are more, more hesitant. Um, he details um, at great length the positions of, uh, of Ramosha Feinstein um, uh, and the like. Um, to take a step back, though, um, as as I've said several times um, throughout this this year, what interests me less is le- is not as much uh, the precise position of the Chazun Ish or any other given posek, um, but is the met- methodological considerations here. Um, again, in principle, the understanding of halacha kibatrai as being based on a belief that later authorities um, have a, a more of a bird's eye view of the, of the situation in the earlier post scheme, um, leads to the position accepted by the Ramah that if a position was not in play, was not known to the, to the authoritative position one is relying on, then one can overturn that consensus um, and return to an earlier uh, position, which points in the direction of of accepting um, at least potentially manuscripts, new rishonim, new geonim, new achronim, um, even if they were not codified in uh, the classic works of halacha. And there are indeed poskim, um, as we noted, the Sridi Aish um, and others, um, who were who were willing to uh, to go in this direction. Um, as Professor Lyman notes, even a posaic like that might be hesitant in terms of accepting it, recognizing that not every manuscript is authoritative, and that um, when there's conflicting reports of the position of a Rishon, one found in a manuscript and the other found um, in the works of accepted postkim, one might be hesitant to accept the manuscript view, recognizing that there can be errors in manuscripts as there can be errors everywhere else. Um, but again, even with that caution, um, there are poskim who fundamentally take the logical conclusion of the Ramah as their practical conclusion, conclusion as well, and are willing to accept um, manuscripts and nurishonim and the like as reasons for changing perhaps the accepted view, lahalacha, or the traditionally practiced one. On the other hand, there are poskim who believe either for a conviction that um, the positions passed down in the classical sources are more correct than those that are found in manuscripts. Um, or even more fundamentally, a belief that in general, halacha as we have it has been guided by hashkacha. Um, and where exactly one draws the line, for some, that means anything that was recorded in Shulchan Aruch um, is more authoritative now than any position that is found from pre Shulchan Aruch, but was not included in that in that canonical decision. Um, certain poskim take that view, and therefore, very rarely, if ever, are willing to overturn um, the the accepted halacha 
in light of, uh, of newly found uh, information. That is another model. And as we noted in, uh, in Rai Bleich's article, a, a compromise position, perhaps that found in the Shulchan Harav, is uh, the notion that perhaps you would be willing to accept it. Uh, um if not L'Kula. Um, I know that we have not really detailed uh, specifics um, in uh, this year, so maybe just to throw out a few uh, through few specifics um, to to concretize the ideas we've been talking about. Um, let's take Eruvin as an example. Um, in the case of Eruvin, um, for many many generations, poskim were willing to be makil and lenient and assume that something was not a rishus harabim daraisa a public thoroughfare for the purposes of Shabbat, in which one, in which case one cannot build an Erevin, an Erev, on the assumption that one needed 600,000 people to be present to pass through the thoroughfare on Shabbat, however one understands that. Um, however, um, a machloket erupted um, in the time of the Beit Ephraim and the Mishkanot Yaakov, where the Mishkanot Yaakov um, on the basis of many newfound Rishonim, argued that, um, well, it used to be believed that the majority view followed the belief that you needed 600,000. He had found many Rishonim that argued that was not the case, and therefore sought to to overturn that precedent and argue that you could have Rishon HaRabim without 600,000 in line with what he now saw to be the majority view. Um, on the other hand, the Beit Ephraim in Siman uh, Chavav and Chavzayin um, pushes back and says that, well, since the Beit Yosef codifies that position, um, it doesn't really matter how many Rishonim you can find on the other side, Shulchan Aruch is willing to accept um, and quotes the position that um, that says you do not have Rishon HaRabim without 600,000 and, uh, and believes that that is a legitimate position and not completely overwhelmed by the opposing position. And therefore, you can't overturn it uh, simply based on unmanuscripts um, that you find. And so that's one um, practical example that, um, that appears on this issue. Um, and again, we can, we can note um, many different uh, examples um, that, that hang... Um, on this issue. But what I've tried to do in this year um, is not, per se, focus on the examples, but set up the general models. And again, the models we've seen are those that take the Ramah um, and use that as a basis to accept new material, new re- newly found Rishonim, n- new versions of Rishonim and manuscripts, and change the halacha that has been codified. Those that almost always rejected um, either on practical grounds when it comes to manuscripts um, of Rishonim, whose position we do have, though in alternate form, a belief that the positions passed down in our sources, um, the, the classic sources, are more accurate, or even more fundamentally, that under certain circumstances, perhaps um, when it comes to positions that are not reflected in Shulchan Aruch, we believe that the positions that are reflected in Shulchan Aruch um, are those that Hashem wanted um, to be part of the, the canon, and therefore we fundamentally reject it. Um, those postgim who are cautious about it, but not rejectionists, those postgim who perhaps are willing to accept it, l'chumra, but not, uh, but not l'kula, 
Um, and all these are different ways of grappling with newly found precedent and newly found uh, material um, in Psak. Um, the last point that I will uh, note here in passing uh, is the following. Um, I once had a conversation with Refershal Schechter um, about a particular issue, um, and I noted that um, in some cases um, you will have a middle ground. You will have a position who, which, let's say, um, a Rishonic position that is um, lost for practical purposes from, let's say, the Ashkenazi poskim. It doesn't appear in the Ramah, it doesn't appear in the Shach, it doesn't appear in the Taz, it doesn't appear in the Mogan Avram, it doesn't appear in the Mishnah whatever the case may be. Um, but um, it is found in, uh, in contemporaneous uh, poskim, um, and will found, be found amongst the, the Svarti poskim that lived at the same time as those as those. Ashkenazi uh, poskim, um, and I, I discussed with him. Um, even if one took the rejectionist position, the belief that the halacha as we have it uh, has been formulated based on a certain hashgacha, and certain positions were rejected for uh, for a reason, Hashem wanted them to be in the minority or left out of the the codifier's material, and therefore we shouldn't seek to reintroduce them. Um, in a case like this, where the position was not newly discovered um, and lost for hundreds of years, but was merely lost from, let's say, half of the halachic tradition, from the Ashkenazi half, but was alive in the in the Svardi tradition, or or vice versa for that matter, uh, would that change it? And uh, at least in my conversation with him, uh, Rav Schechter felt um, that indeed in such a case, even Poskim, who would be more reticent, to accept uh, newly found material um, would be more accepting because um, it's a much harder um, theological move uh, to claim that Hashem wanted um, only the positions found in the Ashkenazi tradition uh, to be authoritative and therefore any Rishon that didn't make it to the Shach and Taz um, is, uh, is not meant to be practical in our determination of halacha, um, even though it was included in the determinations of psak by, by contemporaneous postgame in the Sephardi tradition, uh, that's a much harder theological move than, than even the, the complex position that we've developed um, for Zehudas within the Chazonish uh, that um, when a view was completely excluded from uh, from the codifiers of Shulchan Aruch, let's say, or the Nosei Kalim, um, that's evidence of the fact that uh, Hashgacha didn't want that to be the the, um, the guiding principle in Psaq. And th- so that is a caveat, um, that um, as we find new positions, um, if those positions were in fact live, but in a... Uh, in a tradition that's perhaps not our dominant one, uh, there it would seem that there's more room for everybody to view that position as as live and be among the precedent that uh, that should be considered.